Hey everyone, welcome to 2022 and welcome to Hit the Apex podcast. How's everyone doing? It's Jawad here as always and we've made it. We've made it, you know, to the start of the new season for Formula One. Um, other motorsports have started as well. Um, if you couldn't uh, survive the winter or summer, wherever you're in, in, in whatever part of the world, without your motorsport fix, but at last it's here and it's quite exciting you know I've got to say um for a while there during the off season I said oh you know I'm, I'm kind of okay without F1 right now you know especially how the last season ended and everything and how a lot of that fallout spilled over into the off season left a very bad taste in a lot of people's mouths but alas I think you know a point that I want to make, probably, I was going to make later on in the show, but, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that as well, but just saying it off the top of the bat, we need to move on from Abu Dhabi, we can debate about it, you know, I know people are going to probably listen to that and say, oh, you're running from, you're running from the truth and, uh, 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 you know, like typical keyboard warrior style, the debate can rage on it'll rage on for decades to come, you know, I'll be in my grave, and, you know, the next generation and generations after that will probably debate about it, but the result's not going to change, um, what's changed is, you know, certain, uh, regulations and, and implementation methods, which, which I'll discuss as well when we get to our key off-season changes part of this podcast, but, the result's not going to change. Max Verstappen's your world champion. End of story. Let's move on. But anyway, I hope everyone's been well. Hope everyone had a um, a pleasant uh, time over Christmas and New Year's. Whatever you celebrate, wherever you celebrate, hope you're safe in the world. A lot of bad things going on. Um, and, you know, feel for everyone who's involved, you know, particularly out in, in the Ukraine and people in Russia who are protesting what's going on as well, um, it is, it is such a horrible thing, you know, to, to have in the midst of a global pandemic as well, mind you, I mean, not that COVID has gone away or anything at the end of another year, in fact, over here, uh, or I'm sure in most parts of the world, uh, you had Omicron hitting <laughs> during during the New Year time, and you know that really brought about a stressful start to 2022. Uh, January was awful. February as well, in terms of work and just you know social stuff, um, was was very hard. So it it felt like another difficult start to the year. But you know right now I think it's it's calmed down and it's a lot better and. A lot of signs that, you know, we're kind of on the on the road to normal, hopefully, and the fact that we've got a bumper 22-season calendar at the moment, it will go back up to 23, I'm sure, when they find a replacement for the Russian Grand Prix, out for obvious reasons. Um, you know, that's it's kind of like normal Formula One. Looking forward to seeing four races in particular return to the schedule, you know, uh, Montreal, Singapore, Japan, and then of course, you know, why, why not men mention Melbourne, you know, uh, my home favourite, you know, hometown, hometown Grand Prix, good to see all the preparations underway and the track being built and everything, um, haven't had a chance to visit, not that I normally do anyway, but it'll be good to see um, the town buzz again with that, and as a matter of fact, I think the first time that they've sold out all the Sunday and Saturday tickets as well, you know, there's very limited tickets remaining, I'm trying to get a friend um, who's rather disappointed he missed out on Sunday tickets, you know, we're looking on all the resale websites and stuff, if anyone's uh, trying to sell a ticket, if anyone listening is trying to sell a ticket for, for general admission on Sunday, get in touch, my friend will be very happy, <laughs> he will be very happy that he will, uh, he will get to the, go to his first Grand Prix in, I don't know how many years, my first Grand Prix, however, in two years, or, you know, probably, probably three, because you don't really count 2020, because there was no race, but I was there, anyway, new race this year in Miami as well, uh, I guess, you know, worth looking forward to, I mean, I don't mind the location, 
the track, uh, I'm not, uh, if you've heard me in the past, I've probably not been as convinced, you know, I was not a fan of uh, what I saw of the Vietnam Grand Prix circuit, which we never got to race on anyway, uh, Formula One, not making it there due to the start of the COVID pandemic, but um, yeah, Miami, is it going to take a leaf out of their book in terms of how the circuit uh, handles and drives and all that, but I mean, even Saudi, I was not a fan of, you know, we don't need these kind of complex street circuits, bring back all those, now now I sound like a proper boomer or, you know, rose-tinted um, glasses kind of view, bring back the V8s and the V10s and bring back this circuit and that circuit, but in terms of circuits, what we have learned over the past couple of years is, you know, bringing back circuits like Imola, Nürburgring, um, going to places like Portimao as well, Turkey, they've, they've been great, you know, F1 has um, had great receptions from those places, so, you know, I'm just saying, you know, we could do with, you know, one less street circuit on the on the calendar if it is continuously growing like it is at the moment. Um, yeah, all that, you know, 2022, the anticipated introduction of the new car, ground effect, aero, much less complex aero as well without all the fancy bits that we don't get to see normally being standardized, you know, a lot of people um, coming out and saying, oh, F1's not bespoke anymore, it's like IndyCar, they're running the same cars and, oh, you know, I just I just have nothing good to talk about, so I'm just going to be miserable all the time. I think pre-season testing and then also the car launches showed the complete opposite of that because this is Formula One and ingenuity, expertise and people, you know, finding bespoke solutions is always going to come to the fore. Now, as highly prescriptive as those regulations were, um, meant to be, you know, what, what Ross Braun and Pat Simmons, Nicholas Tombasis, they all drafted back from 2019 or presented back in 2019, I should say, we have seen so many different interpretations, you know, of even just certain parts of the car, like, we could talk side pods for, you know, three hours if you, if you really had the time and wanted to listen to me go on about, go on for three hours about side pods in particular, but, you know, what we've seen just around that area across all 10 cars is completely different, um, the way, you know, certain cars have done their re-render as well, you know, like it's not as straightforward as the old Coke bottle style that they had um, with the previous cars tightly packaged at the rear, the rear diffuser, um, you know, front wing elements as well, you know, different kind of steepness and this and that, you know, if you're one of those people who are like, oh, you know, F1's going to be ruined because they're all just running spec cars, mate, I don't know what, what to say, but take a, just take a look at, you know, surely you can look at a picture and be able to tell the difference between all the cars, you can say, yep, that's definitely an Aston Martin, because they've got all those fancy, um, you know, intake thingos on their, on their side pods, that's a Ferrari, because it's got, you know, a Rouge and Radion on the side of its side pods, or whatever, um, that's how deep the, the crevice is there, so, it, it was great, you know, I, I, I mean, this is the first time in a long time, uh, even 2017, as radical as those changes were back in there, back then, I don't think it was a completely new car like this is, you know, completely different profile, the 18-inch Pirellis as well with the, the side covers and everything, the rear wing, you know, it wasn't until we saw, um, them doing the uh, the shakedowns or whatever that we knew what the DRS would look like as well. So just genuine, genuine excitement and genuine hype about it. And not only that, you know, we don't even know what a competitive order is at the moment from, from the six days we've had of testing or like three days from an official test because Barcelona apparently didn't exist as a official test in, in Formula One's eyes. Um... Yeah, we were genuinely going into the Bahrain Grand Prix this week, this weekend, with no idea 
who is on for the win. All I can say, though, is we've got stories up and down the grid, um, you know, which is worth looking forward to for this season. You know, starting at the top, you can say, yeah, Lewis Hamilton, he's out for redemption for the end of last year. There was, you know, talk and conjecture and all this other rubbish on about, you know, whether he would he would quit um, because of what happened in Abu Dhabi. But, you know... Dude wants an eight world championship. He's not going to just leave because of this or whatever. He was going to take time off, um, gather his thoughts, come back. Let's do this again. He's got new teammate George Russell next to him. Of course, George being the future of that team. You know, what can he learn this year? You got their rivals in Red Bull, Max Verstappen carrying the number one on his car for the first time in his career, but first time we've seen the number one on any car in Formula One since 2014, and that was Sebastian Vettel for, for Red Bull as well, so can they keep that on that car, can Sergio Perez keep himself in his car, you know, in the Red Bull as well, um, Ferrari and McLaren, their tales of you know, coming back from their respective declines and whatnot, you know, Ferrari reached its nadir in 2019, McLaren have been in a a state of flux since, you know, going back, I don't know how long now, since when um, they did the split with Honda in in 2017 and then 2018, getting a real uh, reality check when they switched to Renault engines. Um, When you look at the drivers as well, you know, Leclerc and Sainz, they're safe, you got to say. Daniel Ricciardo, probably the big question mark around him uh, as Lando Norris signed a, a new deal in the offseason to keep him at the team. You know, one of the long-term deals that we're seeing, you know, for these young drivers. I mean, it happened to Leclerc, I think, last year they or the year before where Ferrari signed him up for a, a huge multi-year deal. We saw it for Verstappen. Um, a month ago as well, getting a deal, or the longest deal in F1 history up until the end of 2026 as well, when valued at, you know, some ridiculous amount as well, so, you know, we're seeing uh, teams, these big teams, you know, big names um, investing in these uh, young talents, you know, Verstappen, I guess, proven as a world champion, Leclerc, race winner, Lando, um, podium, multiple podium uh, winner and possibly could be a race winner this year, as is Carlos Sainz, George Russell too, Esteban Ocon on, on a good deal as well there at Alpine, so it's important, you know, to get these guys while they can and, you know, just continue to nurture them, whereas, you know, uh, more of the established order in, in Ricardo, who could be beyond their best, that um, might have to struggle to find a place on the grid, Sebastian Vettel as well, you know, needs a good year there, or Aston Martin in general need a good year this year, so there's plenty of um, stories up and down the grid, poor Danny Rick though hasn't uh, done any of the Bahrain preseason test because he was unwell, later to be confirmed as having COVID as well, so he's in isolation now for seven days, which should end on the Friday of the first free practice session, so nothing has been said about whether McLaren has put anyone on standby, though we have heard that Alpine are willing to lend them Oscar Piastri, the reserve driver, the Melbourneian Formula 2 champion from last year could possibly even make his debut there in um, in Bahrain for McLaren. So wouldn't that be something if we saw Oscar jump in the car there? Um, Haas, it's been a bit of a terrible, terrible preseason for Haas. At least, you know, their track running has been decent. But um, poor Haas, you know, having to suffer the from the fallout of, you know, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, it's meant that their title partner in Urukali, owned by their driver Nikita Mazepin's Mazepin's Mazepin Mazepin. Um Mazepin's father, uh, Dmitry, who, you know, sits like in the Putin's what do you call it, like chamber of secrets, <laughs> um, no, like, sits on, you know, the same table as Putin and one of those, one of those big wig advisors or whatever, so, you know, it's good of Formula One and for Haas to want to distance themselves from that as much as possible, you know, the less we have to say about this guy, the better, um, I'm just glad that he's no longer involved in Formula One, 
father and son together. So good to see them bring back Kevin Magnussen, um, who would have been racing sports cars this year in IMSA and also going to Le Mans with Peugeot. But it's good that they're on. They've given him a multi-year deal as well. So um, not that I would have. You know, it would have been not that I would have picked them bring someone like Magnuson back, and um, you know, given the fact that Grosjean, his former teammate, has got you know one of the plumest uh, or one of the most plum drives, you could say. I don't know if plumest is a word. Uh, one of the most plum drives in IndyCar at the moment for Andretti Autosport driving the DHL car. Um, I think you know. Grosjean will enjoy that more than, you know, possibly bringing up the rear of the field. So, plenty of stories there. Uh, Valtteri Bottas, of course, now at Alfa Romeo. New teammate, Guan Yu Zhou, making his debut um, in Formula 1, who was not the Formula 2 champion. So, that's, you know, we'll see how he goes there. But um, the situation of the team, I guess, you know, kind of depended upon his funding and everything as well. And seeing Alex Albon return as well will be exciting there at Williams. So, as I said, plenty of stories up and down the grid. We need to move on from Abu Dhabi. Let's have a look at the key off-season changes. And I guess we can start from the top. Um, and that is the FIA, of course. So we did have the election um, occur, I think, just after the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix because we knew John Todd would not be able to go for another term. Um, and the new FIA president is ex-rally driver Mohammed Ben Sulayem. So they've taken their time, which has upset a lot of people, to... Um, announced that they were going to be looking into or having an inquiry into what happened in Abu Dhabi. Um, the results of that inquiry came out not too long ago, probably early in Feb, I should say, which, you know, for all the people who've had their pitchforks sharpened since the end of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix was way too long. You know, they, they just, you know want to be able to be done with the FIA and with um, uh, Michael Massey so that they can sharpen their pitchforks for the next um, big controversy or whatever that they want to create. But um, ultimately what had happened is that a restructure occurred with Michael Massey out, unfortunately for him. They've appointed two new race directors now in the forms of Eduardo Freitas, who is highly rated from his work in sports cars in WEC in particular, has a great voice, mind you. I do like his voice on um, the radio channel when uh, he's making calls from race control and everything. Um, I'd love for him to do his countdowns for, you know, when the safety car is going to come in and all. In F1, that would be great. It it just sounds very much like... um, What was I Oh, kind of like, you know, from Goldeneye, from James Bond. He, he sounds like he could be one of the villains or whatever, General Urimov or whatever. Um, and then we've also got Niels Vitic from DTM as well. So the fact that they're going to be sharing that role of race director um, means that there's not going to be as much pressure on the one individual. They've also brought back uh, Charlie Whiting's old deputy in Herbie Blash as well as a permanent advisor, you know, which, I mean, if we're talking if we're talking you know honestly you know and without bias or anything like that these changes should have been brought in ahead of the 2020 season you know or even 2021 you know let's say to be safe I mean 2019 was difficult obviously because of the passing of Charlie uh, Whiting on the eve of the first race, um, but race control, FIA, the stewarding has needed a shake-up for a long time, you know, and because, you know, Charlie was so good at what he did and did so many different things, you know, he had so many different roles um, in in the position he was, you weren't always going to get someone who was going to be able to do that, and, you know, while Massey was, you know, excellent as a race director, on its own, right, forget stewarding, forget all the other things that, you know, Charlie used to do, the workload he had was too much for one person, and I've already been given enough rubbish um, in an article I wrote about that, 
you know, and it's like, okay, I'll take it on the chin. I knew what I was doing when I said what I want, what I needed to say, because I'm not looking at it from a point of view where I want to favor, I'm, I'm, oh, he's my buddy, he's my favorite, or, you know, my driver lost the world championship, or this and that. I couldn't have given a rats about um, who won in Abu Dhabi, as long as it was done right. The fact that, you know, mistakes were made, you know, the interpretation of the ruling and all that sort of thing, such a gray area meant that we needed to change. And for me, change was not necessarily by sacking one individual. It was about changing the whole system so that this doesn't happen again. Because if it happens again, or something as bad as this happens again in the future, are we going to go on a witch hunt like we did with uh, Massey in particular for, for Freitas and for Vittich? Will, you know, we start criticizing the new virtual race control like we see in other sports where they've got video referee uh, technology, you know, in your football codes, in rugby, cricket, tennis or whatever. There's always going to be contentious calls in umpiring, but it's just human nature as a sports fan um, or, you know, supposed expert, content creator, whatever you want to be, to just go after them, acting like you will probably make a better decision. I mean... I'll admit that, you know, in pre under pressure sometimes, I can make mistakes. I'm sure everyone else out there is the same too. So, <laughs> this, this you know, honest to God, just crap that, you know, people have come up with on social media in particular, it's like, are you guys, you know, did, did you descend from the heavens or whatever with angels, uh, with angel wings or something that you've done nothing wrong in your life? You've not made a single mistake, you know? Yes, you know, what happened in Abu Dhabi decided the outcome of a world championship, you know, for one of the most prestigious sports in the world, you know? But at the end of the day, it's a human making the decision and, you know, it wasn't done correctly. But... Let's not sit here and talk about it for the rest of our lives while we've got a new championship yet to start. You know, such excitement around these new cars and possibly having multiple drivers fighting for the championship as well. You know, it's just... Anyway, I, I just needed to get that off my chest because, yeah, th there's this, this holier-than-thou mentality out there which... I can't stand at all, you know, and it is, it, no one's going to stop, you know, it's still going to be out there, but anyway, try to be the better person is, is what I suggest, and that's a suggestion, not a, um, not a recommendation or like a, an order, because, you know, you can't tell people what to do anyway, so yeah, that's the changes there. Um, you know, I'm I'm all for having a virtual race control as well. It just means that you know you can have people set up remotely to be able to look into incidents, so that the race director doesn't necessarily have to do all that. I'm not that the race director would anyway. It'd be up to a stewards. The stewards, on the other hand, you know that's been my bone of contention for the last three years. If, if, if even that, is the inconsistency, you know, not only with the panel of stewards that are there with all their different interpretations, you know, one might be like, oh yeah, you know, like he's put him in the grass, but that's racing, you know, that's, that's, that's hard racing. And then, you know, someone's just um, like done nothing and, and has been given a five second penalty you know I, I I used the example of Lando Norris in in Austria last year with with Sergio Perez getting a penalty for for what he did and then in you know come Brazil and then Saudi and, and Abu Dhabi as well you know penalties not being handed out penalties being handed out all that sort of thing it's that consistency that is important you know so yeah, that's it, let's move on until something actually happens, and then we could come back and start, you know, having an argument about that, but um, overall the changes are good, it just, you know, means that there's going to be onus on them to not, or onus on the FIA to not let what happened 
last year repeat this year and it's good too as entertaining as it was it's good that we're banning the radio communications between um or it being broadcast between the team principals and the race director as well because that just you know meant that you could easily get in the ear of the race director and try and influence the outcome now it made for good television right but from a sporting sense come on you're not going to try and I mean, how often or do you ever get to see in other sports a coach or whatever or or a team owner come up and try and, you know, get in the referee's ear and say, oh, no, you made the wrong decision, blah, blah. Like, this is, look at this, this is this, this is the, 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 no. Shh. Just need quiet. Let the race director do his job. Let the stewards do their job. And all will be good. Save the radio shenanigans for between the drivers when we get to hear them complain about things. Bono, my tires are dead. That's that's all we need. Cool. Let's move it on. Anyway, so budget cap as well this year is down to 140 million US from 145 million last year. And I guess last year it didn't really matter as much because the cars were just, you know basic evolutions of the 2020 spec cars so they weren't going to be spending a whole lot on development like they would be for these current cars so we've already seen a bit of a development war kind of start in pre-season testing especially with Red Bull and Mercedes bringing a lot of parts you know whether that's because their lead time for developing the 22 car was um, hamstrung by the fact that they were fighting until the end of the last season for the championship. Who knows? But, you know, the fact that it is restricted to $140 million now and as well having those limited wind tunnel and CFD runs, depending on where you were in the Constructors' Championship 12 months ago, is going to be important as well. So... It's just, yeah, that's the thing that, you know, like when we, we, we go back to the first point that I made about, oh, you know, Formula One's turning into IndyCar spec series, blah, blah, blah. Um, that's where, like, from the beginning when we heard about this and that that could have possibly been a negative, I turned around and said, well, actually, Formula One's all about ingenuity and people being very smart and clever. You can be clever with the way you spend your resources as well. We're moving into a world where efficiency and sustainability are key focuses. So instead of, you know, having a blank check like, you know, the Cold War or whatever and going to like, you know, get as, oh, you know, the bigger my gun is the better kind of mentality. It's like, right, we've got this amount of resources. Let's see how we... Um, how well we can use that compared to uh, Red Bull next door or to Mercedes or to Ferrari or McLaren, whoever, you know, it kind of levels the playing field in that fact, but still requires the same level of wit and smarts as developing of you know it's added another dimension in my mind and that's what you know the great challenge is so while we can still have a development war we can still have you know bringing all these upgrades it's about how well the development goes into those upgrades because for those bigger teams who finish at the pointy end of the constructors championship every year they're only going to have so much you know time to be able to do the wind tunnel runs and the cfd runs to be able to develop their car and if they get it wrong for example like we've seen in the past I mean we've seen Ferrari get it wrong we've seen McLaren get it wrong Red Bull have got it wrong as well um you're you're in a you're in a hole then and the fact that you can't actually then dig yourself out of that hole straight away is going to be more punishing so it's going to put the onus on guys to just or sorry the teams you know all the people the guys and gals working there to get it right at the start you know so that's what's exciting about that we've also got the power units as well frozen until 2026 now until the new engine regulations come in so that's put the onus on the oems to make sure that you know this spec of power unit that they're coming into this season with um is the best spec that they've had since 2014 and 2015 if you're honda even though honda's not directly involved this year it's the red bull um, powertrain but they've got hrc branding on it as well renault 
especially need to, you know, get their act together and hopefully they have caught up to the likes of Ferrari and Mercedes. And yeah, for Ferrari too to be recovering from the engine dramas that they had a couple of years ago when the technical directive went out about fuel burn and oh sorry, oil burn and all that sort of thing. So that's a big thing as well that has changed in the off-season. Sprint racing as well, the sprint qualifying. Um, I will detail the specifics ahead of the Emilia-Romagna race as well because that's the first race we'll see the sprint, but it's only going to feature at three races this year, uh, Imola, Austria, and Brazil. So we're not going to have the, what, 10 or something or 5, I don't know what number they were talking about at the end of last year to be honest, um, so it's only going to feature at 3 Grand Prix this year which I'm sure some people will be happy about, um, I've, I like how I've you know, just in bold writing made a point of doing a whole point about Otmar because you know Otmar is cool. We love Otmar. Otmar Saf now, that is, I'm talking about. He is out from Aston Martin. He is now in at Alpine um, as the team principal. Um, unfortunate, but, you know, if anyone really paid attention last year or even just the last couple of years, you know, it was apparent that he and Lawrence Stroll did not get on. And for what reason, I do not know, given the fact that Otmar has you know, basically run that team for so long, you know, even going back to Force India days when Vijay Malia couldn't couldn't be <laughs> bothered doing anything, you know, apart from showing up to a racetrack whenever he could, and then when he was under house arrest, it was basically all under Otmar's, um, Otmar's reign, so, you know, he's done such a great job, he's such a great leader, um, Lawrence Stroll, I will say it time and time again, I think he's way, in, way over his head, um, and, you know, they're going to have to get their act together this year, Aston Martin. I know that it's a three-year plan and five-year plan and, you know, this strategy and that strategy or whatever, but if they don't improve upon what we saw last year, then seriously, you know, you've got to question their commitment, you know, you've got to question his leadership. I mean, he's made good moves in terms of hiring um, or bringing back to F1 Martin Whitmarsh, the former McLaren team principal. Uh, they've appointed Mike Crack, try saying that without laughing, I dare you, um, as team principal now, so effectively taking over Otmar's role in the team. Um, he comes from uh, BMW. He's worked with Sebastian Vettel before. Basically, Lawrence Stroll trying to do what uh, McLaren did with Andreas Seidel, bringing, in, bringing him in from sports car world, um, bringing Mark Crack in from similar sort of thing to try and change the team's fortunes. But they can make as many changes as they like. When it comes to what the stopwatch says, there's no arguing. And that's, at the end of the day, going to be the, the big litmus test for Aston Martin is how quick they are, how they finish their races, and where they finish in the championship, you know, like, not everyone's, I admit, not everyone can finish in in third or fourth or whatever, but they've just, they've got to put their, they've got to stake a claim, they can't be as far back as they were last year, so that's going to be a big thing for them. Alpine, I feel like, you know, have better chance of making strides forward, you know, they've got they had such a good year last year with their win. They had a podium for Fernando Alonso. They brought in BWT as well as their title sponsor. Um, you know, I still don't know how I feel about as much as I love the pink car. It's like, is that an Alpine or is that a racing point, <laughs> you know, from a couple of years ago? It just looks the same when they've got that all pink livery, but I do like the the blue livery with the bit of pink incorporated into it so we'll see how they go this year too as I said earlier Ocon signed a new long-term deal with the team last year so he is very much going to be the future of the team but Alonso how long is he going to stick around too especially when you've got someone like Piastri waiting in the wings and it'll be a good year for Oscar to kind of shadow what they're doing and who knows if one of them catch COVID Oscar might get a chance to do a race not saying that it's going to happen but you know, stranger things have happened. But yeah, for Alpine as well, it's going to be quite important because, um, you know, since Renault returned to the sport in 2016, they've their best finish in F1 has been fourth. 
you know, and then after that, they've kind of just regressed, let's say, like, they got their star driver in Daniel Ricciardo, they had supposedly one of their best lineups on the grid, uh, more highly rated lineups in the grid when Ricciardo and Hulkenberg were together in 2019, but it didn't yield the success that they wanted, and now, you know, under Alpine and Laurent Rossi, um, you know, they've got this new five-year plan or strategy, you know, you know, whatever corporate spiel that they've, they've made about, you know, when they expect to be competitive or whatever, um, we need to see a positive step forward from them this year, otherwise then you've got to question what's going on there as well, and as I said, power units locked in till 2026 as well, so Renault there in Viry, Chatillon, would have had to make some serious progress over the off-season too to be able to uh, bridge the gap to the top teams. Um, Haas have already covered earlier, so good to see K-Mag back. The other part needs no more air. I'm glad we're done with the egghead. Moving on. Hopefully Mick has a good season. Mick Schumacher in his sophomore year. And also the Q2 tyre rule as well. I thought that was important to point out. Um, no more starting the race on the tire that you set your fastest lap in Q2 on if you were in Q3, so basically you get free choices starting tyre, because we're going to have some good racing, we're going to have some clean, not clean, probably not clean, <laughs> um, we're going to have some wheel-to-wheel racing like we saw in pre- pre-season testing, it might not have been racing per se, but we saw cars be able to follow each other a lot closer than we did last year. And particularly in Bahrain, there was a clip of an Alpine and an Aston Martin or somebody that, you know, they not only, you know, followed them down the straight, but also then going into the first sequence of corners were so close, closer than they would have been, you know, with the previous era of cars. So that was encouraging to see, um... And the driver's feedback themselves have said that, you know, it has been so much better. So that is already one thing to look forward to, that we might get, we will get some close racing. But otherwise, in preseason testing, what stole the headline was porpoising. (laughs) Who would have thought we would talk about um, some kind of amphibious creature uh, or refer back to what Andretti said back when last time we had the ground effect cars. Um, porpoising, what is it? I'm sure you know the explanation. My interpretation of it in layman's terms is basically because of all the aero at the bottom of the car, when it's going down the straight, gets sucked to the ground and then, you know, bounces back up and suck and same thing, you know, and what it results in is the car doing a lot of chattering and you see the driver basically just going up and down, up and down, up and down, you know, shaking around do the hokey pokey and you turn around, that's what it's all about, no, they don't do the hokey pokey, it looks very uncomfortable, I would hate to (laughs) um, be in that position, Um, especially, you know, yeah, if you've got fillings or anything like that, that'll rattle them straight out of your uh, teeth, or your gums, I should say, I don't know, I don't have fillings, so I I can't tell you the specifics, anyway, it's not going to be a quick fix, um, McLaren for some reason have a car concept that doesn't result in porpoising, but everyone else is going to have to try and get on top of it. We saw Alfa Romeo in Barcelona testing in particular, uh, actually damage the floor to their car and then had to miss some time on track because of it. You know, Ferrari looks pretty funny or spectacular when they're bouncing up and down like that. Um, got some weird suspension going on, but, um, apart from that, Mercedes kind of stole the show with their radical slim side pod design that they brought to Bahrain um, with their upgrade package. So, you know, that could possibly see a protest from their rivals in the first race. When I say rivals, it's it's going to be Red Bull, you know, and we've already had some controversy around that with um, Christian Horner apparently having uh, been misquoted or something, or he said something off the record that went on the record and stuff like that. So you know that Horner and, and, and Toto are going to be up to their own, uh, up to their old um, shenanigans again this season. So <laughs> that's going to be hilarious to see how that pans out. But 
not that it gave Mercedes any kind of edge, you know, I'm sure they're just trying to learn from, from whether it is better than the side pods that they debuted the W13 with in the launch spec and in the Barcelona spec or whatever, um, they came away from testing with Lewis Hamilton pretty much saying that in the state that they are at the moment, they're not going to be able to win races, um, Whereas Red Bull and Ferrari could be arguable winners of testing, if that's ever such a thing. Um, but Mercedes, we know how good they are at sandbagging. They've done it in the past. 2019 was probably peak, peak sandbagging for me, where, you know, preseason they looked so off the pace and everything. And then first race they come out, Bottas wins the race, Hamilton second you know, and then 30 seconds behind is Max Verstappen or whatever, so, but if it is, then this could be a very intriguing start to the season, because it means that they're going to have to develop themselves out of that, like they did last year very much, when Red Bull had the upper hand in the first part of the season, and get themselves back in contention, Um, McLaren, we've seen, have had problems with their brakes uh, through the second test, you know, I mean, they looked very much on the money in Barcelona compared to the rest, but then now they've had these overheating, overheating brake issues that they've still got to find a solution for, but otherwise, apart from that, I reckon they'll probably be up there or thereabouts too, I really want them to be, you know, um, and then the midfield looks so compact as well, the spread is not as far as it was, um, so much so that the likes of Alfa Romeo, Williams and Haas could easily be in and amongst them at, at times this season, so that'll be good for those individuals as well, and overall just so hard to gauge a competitive order until we hit qualifying on Saturday there at the Bahrain Grand Prix, and it's not that far away, you know, by the time this episode goes out, you know, it'll, it'll only be a couple of days away, so there we go. That, that's it, you know, what else do you want me to say about F1, you know, I'm looking forward to quite a bit, but until we see these cars on track and doing representative times and de- representative fuel loads and all that sort of thing, it's it's all just, you know, my opinion this, my opinion that, um, yeah, yeah, Anyway, there's Drive to Survive season season four out as well, so I haven't checked that out. Or by the time you, this episode goes up, I probably would have watched it. But at this point, where when I'm recording it, I haven't watched it yet. I actually spent um, the not going to say the off season, but yeah, I spent the last month actually watching all the first from the first season to third season. I just finished season three. Um, you know, and just the usual criticisms and things that I like, things that I dislike, you know, I'm sure season four will be the same, but it's always going to attract its, uh, critics and whatnot, so I do, I do not like the, uh, manufactured rivalries and whatnot, I mean, at what point do you think that Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz hated each other or whatever, you know, in, in 2020, I don't think that's the case, but anyway... They, they just got to do it for, for television and all that sort of thing. Hopefully, um, season five, they can they can make some changes or whatever, like people are requesting and demanding and, you know, as they do, you know, with the power of Twitter and all. But, um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Anyway, let's move it on. All right, let's uh, bring this one to a close, talk a bit about supercars as I do as well, because the season is underway for 2022, and I'm going to make a point of saying that I feel, I feel like I'm going to get some kind of nausea if I watch Sydney Motorsport Park again anytime soon. Nothing against Eastern Creek and and Sydney and everything, Um, ironically enough, I was there, um, visiting family, me and my partner were visiting my family a couple of weeks ago, and we left, I think, uh, two days before, or three days before the race weekend there for supercars, I had to be back here for, for a gig on the Friday, otherwise I could have very much stayed and, and, and gotten soaked at SMP, but instead I got soaked, um, elsewhere. As such, it's been horrible anyway, my thoughts 
go out to the people affected by the floods up north there, uh, Lismore, you know, southeastern Queensland. It, it's been horrible. But, um, yeah, you know, the ad nauseum of, of Sydney Motorsport Park, we've had, I think, I had some figures. Let me just quickly bring it up. Um, since... Yeah, since 2020, since since COVID, we have had 19 individual races at Sydney Motorsport Park, all at the 3.93-kilometre Gardner circuit, you know. That is a lot of races there at SMP in, in only two years, three years, if you include this year now. So let's give some context into this. So SMP was not meant to be the first race of 2020. Two, it was supposed to be the final race, but because of Omicron and outdoor events, particularly in, you know, dense areas such as what a street circuit would be, we would have been racing at, at Newcastle for the first race this year, but they've had to postpone that till later in the season. We don't know um, when yet, but it will be on the cards later this season. So that's why SMP was brought forward. It was a logical option because Supercars does have a contract with the New South Wales government that, you know, the first and last races of the season or something has to be hosted in New South Wales. So there you go. That's the reason for that. Um, it was wet and wild. It was good uh, to see them back anyway. Um, speaking of ad nauseums, Shane Van Gisbergen winning the first race of the season. Very, very bold three-stop strategy to outwit Anton Di Pasquale to win race one. Um, under lights as well, they did the uh, 300k races, so a pair of 300k races or whatever. Um, and then Chas Mostert winning race two in the wet conditions. He was excellent all weekend. He, he was on the podium in the first race bagged a win in the second race and is leading the championship as a result so could be on for the title this year so people say Walkinshaw and Dreddy United Chaz and Chaz Mostert and of course he's got Nick Perkat with him this year as well not the greatest weekend for for Nick but I'm sure we'll see him come on form sooner than later they've got a pair of really fast cars there at Walkinshaw and Dreddy United um Again, there, Anton Di Pasquale, Shane Van Gisbergen, all in contention. Good to see as well Brock Feeney, you know, the rookie in the Triple Eight car, getting his elbows out and having a go as well. It might not have been the most cleanest weekend for him, but he he really held his own. Held his own, and there's that scene of him getting absolutely. Um, uh, ambushed by a pair of uh, Matt Stone Racing cars and then spare a thought for uh, Jack LeBrock for Matt Stone Racing who um, late in race two particularly when you know the field had uh, switched to wet tyres I think between laps 65 and 66 um, when they had a safety car out he decided to stay out on slick tyres gambling on the fact that there's only 10 laps remaining in this race could he stay out no he did not because he uh, he fired off at turn three and triggered another safety car. So that's how Mostert was allowed to take the lead. But good on him for trying, you know. And, and LeBrock has won a race at Sydney Motorsport Park in the past when he was there at Tickford. Um, Brody Kostecki ending up on the podium as well in that particular race. He was the pole sitter. So can't really rule out any of the Erebus guys between him and Will Brown as well. But um, yeah, you got to say that you're, you're top three that will be vying for this one will be the likes of Van Gisbergen, Di Pasquale and um, old mate Chazzy. So should be an interesting year for supercars too and hopefully the closest year that we can have to like a normal season um, since this pandemic started. So of course last year again we had to have that break in the middle of the year after Townsville because of you know, lockdowns in New South Wales and Victoria pretty much hampering plans. But yeah, this year we've got um, Tasmania coming up um, in two weeks' time, then heading to the Australian Grand Prix um, 7th to the 10th of April to do the Melbourne 400 support round. And then finally, going to Perth. You know, who would have thought anyone would get in or out of Perth at the moment, but you know, apparently the borders are open, and yeah, you know, it's it's no longer um, closed to the uh, to normal people. What I mean by normal people is like, you know, people who want to go visit Perth 
or, or leave Perth, you know, McGowan's not trying to lock you up anymore anyway. Um, Winton will be exciting as well, I probably will try to get to Winton um, there in late May. Darwin, Townsville, we've seen plenty of, of course, over the last few years. There have been hubs. Um, the Bend as well we've seen. Then Sandown, another good one to go to. Auckland, will be good to see supercars go across the ditch to New Zealand for the first time as well in a couple of years. And, of course, we've got Bathurst back in its normal date there on, on the 9th of October, clashing with the Japanese Grand Prix, which I'm not happy about. It's been good the last couple of years that that's not been the case. Um, heading back to Gold Coast as well, Gold Coast 500, and then um, still TBC is Newcastle. And the possibility, the faintest possibility, depending on election results in South Australia, because apparently Labor have made all these promises that you know they're going to bring back this event, bring back that event it's official that if labor win the election in new south oh sorry not new south wales in south australia not that i have time for politics and whatnot and whether this labor guy will actually do any good for south australia but apparently if he wins the adelaide 500 comes back and it could come back on i think december 3rd to 5th this year be the final round of the championship Foo Fighters is touring as well at that time, and I think it was uh, Richard Crail or something on Twitter uh, noted the conspicuous absence of a show in Adelaide, but then looked at the, the gaps between, you know, a show that they play on the Friday and then the show that they play in Melbourne on the Sunday and said, ooh, you know, what could go better with, you know, uh, a live outdoor car racing event than, you know, a live outdoor rock band or whatever, and I think that's fantastic if, if that's the case, you know, to welcome back the Adelaide 500 as the season finale, like it was for Formula One for, you know, 10 odd years or whatever, um, and then have someone like Foo Fighters play, that would be worth the price of admission alone, um, and it could work out with a, with a tr another trip that I'm planning to Adelaide, actually, at that time of the year when we've got Guns N' Roses uh, rescheduled show that I was supposed to go to um, last year happening at the end of uh, this year instead. So that's happening the same week. So I could end up staying the weekend and go watch some racing and maybe some Foo Fighters. Anyway, <laughs> I hope um, whatever you guys are planning for this year, whether you want to go abroad or see your home Grand Prix or whatever form of racing or live music, um, I hope you can this year, it's um, one to look forward to, we've all been through the ringer with the pandemic the last two years, not being able to see loved ones and family and do the social things that we, you know, took for granted for so long and, you know, now we've got the ability to do that again, um, may this year be that good fun year that it's going to be. Um, other than that, Thank you for joining me as always. Uh, Twitter, you know, at Hit the Apex Media is the usual place to find me. As I said earlier, if anyone's looking to offload a um, general admission ticket for the Australian Grand Prix on the Sunday, please reach out because I've got a friend who is very keen for that. Um, and yeah, I will be back to review the Bahrain Grand Prix. Until then, thank you very much and enjoy. Ciao.